0: We can turn your Bibles to Jude, the book of Jude. We're going to be uh, <clears throat> going through just a couple of verses tonight as we press on through our study here. It's a short letter, but there's a lot in it. And so um, just to remind you, see some new faces. So where we've been uh, through this, you can get the back outlines off the uh, app if you need to do that. But we're talking specifically here about Realizing the characteristics of those who deceive because the whole point of of jude is to point out that we are to contend for the faith We're to make an earnest effort to defend the gospel to contend for the gospel And so we contend for believers, but we also contend from false teachers and there's a lot of them out there today and so you have to be careful and so um, and just a little teaser in a couple of weeks we're gonna actually be giving you a list Naming names of people who stay away from these people (laughs) and We don't believe we're the only church on the block that has the truth But uh, trust me the names that we will give you are are definitely people who uh, Speak outside the realm of orthodoxy and and are very dangerous in the church today And there's a lot of people buying their books and giving them money that uh, they're just putting in their pocket frankly So you have to be careful with that. So we've talked about realizing these the characteristics of those who deceive in verses eight to eleven. This is what Jude is talking about, and we talked about the attitudes they reflect, and um, we talked about their immorality. It says in verse eight that they they defile the flesh. They're usually immoral. Um, they're insubordinate. It says they also reject authority. They don't want to have anybody tell them, including the word of God, what to believe. They make up their own truth. Um, and then in verses uh, 8 to 10, we're talking more currently here last week and, and this week, their irreverence. And we talked last week a little bit about what it meant for them to blaspheme these, these glorious ones. And I just want to read it for us here in our text so you can follow along in your Bibles. Verse, verses 8 to 11, it says, Yet in like manner, these people, these people who are immoral, these people who are insubordinate, these people who are irreverent, these people relying on their dreams because they have nothing else to stand on, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. And then verse 9 says, But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, this is what we're going to talk about tonight, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said the Lord rebuke you and then in verse 10 it goes on it says but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand and they are destroyed by all that they like unreasoning animals understand instinctively and some commentators believes that relates to um, sensuality sexuality it says in verse 11, But woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. And so we want to look at these, these, this, this focus in here on verse 9 tonight. But remember, we, we talked about how this word blaspheme really uh, means to slander or to speak ill of or to speak evil of. And the glorious ones that we talked about last week, because second Peter is almost a commentary on Jude, vice versa, but it's kind of the almost the same text if you look at second Peter chapter two it it lists angels as well, and it's it's the word doxa" here, um, glorious ones, and uh, they they speak evil of they blaspheme angels, and we talked about this last week. How could these false teachers? Blaspheme angels. It doesn't even make any sense. And so we went through various scriptures and we talked about how these angels were responsible for um, The protection and the guarding of God's word They were there when the law was given angels were and so when these false teachers come up with some teaching that's Irreverent or just whacked out of their minds mostly and they come up with their own truth the Bible even calls them here dreamers They just dream up something, Um, and they don't have a chapter and verse for what they they believe. They just say, oh, God gave me this new truth, and they lead a lot of people down the wrong path, but it it talks of angelic majesties or glorious ones, and these angels, God gave them the specific um, task to protect the Word of God. So when these false teachers are speaking out against the Word of God, they're actually Blaspheming angels who are given to protect this 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 word and uh, We read back in 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 Deuteronomy chapter uh, uh, 33 I think it was uh, Verse 2 it says the Lord came down from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran and then he says he came from the midst of 10,000 holy ones So when he came down after receiving the law, there was 10,000 angels up there with him at the giving of the law. And so it was very important that we understand that um, these these angels are given for this this express purpose. And we went through a bunch of verses to, to point that out. But whether or not they recognize it, these apostates, these, these people who are false teachers in their immorality, in their insubordination, um, in their il- irreverence, they, they not only uh, blaspheme God and they not only blaspheme Christ and the Holy Spirit but they blaspheme holy angels as well, the Bible says. And that's the whole point that, that Jude is, is pointing here to. And if you look down at verse 14, just to drive this home a little bit, it, it, it brings up the same point. He says, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him so by their lawlessness and their immorality and their insubordination they not only uh, blaspheme holy angels but they blaspheme god himself and so we see that brings us to verse 9 And when I read verse nine, you're probably sitting there thinking, "What in the world is this about?" (laughs) You know, I mean, it's just a weird kind of a weird verse that's put here. But when the archangel Michael, notice it says when the the archangel, what does that mean? That means there's only one archangel. Somebody says, "Well, what about Gabriel? He's not an archangel." There's only one archangel. That's Michael. Um, It says contending with the devil. So he's having a discussion, a contentious discussion with the devil. And then it says, was disputing about the body of Moses. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, this is a very, very weird point to make, and it's it's very um, uh, kind of exaggerated in a lot of ways, because Jude is trying to make this point by way of contrast. And uh, he wants us to, to know that God takes this very seriously. When someone teaches the word of God, they better be teaching God's truth and not their own version of God's truth um, Not a story they made up um, And that's this unusual point that he's making here and so he, he's, he's trying to really point out this is a dangerous thing to mess around with the Word of God because you're really messing around not only with God and Christ and the Holy Spirit who were also involved in this but also holy angels and um, it, it 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 really denies the authority of scripture and it denies as we said earlier um, the lordship of christ and and a lot of these false teachers don't want to have anything to do with the lordship of christ because they're free willing they want to go do whatever they want to do they want to teach whatever they want to teach Uh, the bible like i said calls them dreamers they're just coming up with stuff and you know if you doubt me i mean there are you can look up documentaries on some of these teachers that are on TV today, just asking for money and stuff and and secular news agencies have done documentaries on them. And I remember hearing on one documentary about Robert Tilton, who's one of these false teachers. Um, he was very, very famous a long time ago, but he's kind of made a little comeback. But I, don't, I haven't seen one on on the air lately, but he is just a weird guy. I don't know if you ever watched his show, Robert Tilton. I forget what the name of the show is, but I started watching this guy back in the '80s because it was just entertaining. <laughs> he was just so whacked out. It's like I can't believe this guy's actually doing this, and I can't believe the little thermometer would go up as people would give him money. What is, you know? And he would just like break out in tongues and just start, you know, really acting strange. And he just his whole mannerism was just very, very odd. I remember I sent in a. Uh, request one time for this thing that he said was free. And I thought, I wonder if, if it's really free. You know, this is before, a lot of this is before the internet, right? So I mailed this in. And sure enough, I got the poster of Robert Tilton. And it was a poster with him standing there like this with his big smile on his face. And you were commanded in the, the flyer, every morning when you get up, he gave you a, another fold out. I mean, this envelope came and it was huge. And it was, you know, it was probably like an eighth inch thick with all these folders in there. And one of the folders was a mat. And it had Robert Tilton's feet. And so you were to put that next to your bed. So when you would get up in the morning, you could walk to the mirror wherever you put this thing of Robert Tilton and connect with him and his palms and, and start your day the right way. Uh, it was just so weird. And I, I remember just getting tons of stuff from this guy. And I never sent him a dime. You know, holy oil and water and all this kind of weird stuff. And I thought, wow, this, this guy is a real real shyster, but i remember on one of these programs they were doing an expose on him because he was making millions and millions of dollars off people they found a college friend that went to bible school with this guy and they said well this isn't anything new for him he used to stand in front of the mirror (laughs) in our dorm room and practice his thing he goes boy this is going to make me rich one day he would literally say that and he had a whole stick you know and and you just have to be so so very very careful, and so these false teachers don't hesitate to indulge their flesh. They reject the lordship of Christ. They revile holy angels, um, and and so they reject the the word of God, which the angels are guardians of, and that's very serious. So who is this 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 guy Michael? I said, well, he is the archangel. Um, he himself is the most uh, the highest ranked angel. And now we know that um, uh, Satan was right before when before his fall. But here notice it says, but when the archangel, it says, but that little word shows that this this verse nine is also connected back to verse eight. And what it's doing is it's proving out these characteristics of these false teachers are also kind of connected here with with the devil and the way he deals with with people and um in the way that the characteristics of the way they run their ministries and the way they they run their lives even and so michael you could say is a is a proper example of a proper attitude of a godly life um that would serve the lord and you notice here it says but when the archangel michael um there's, there's no, like I said, he is the only archangel. He, he is the leader. That's what archangel is. He's, the, he's a leader of all the appointed angelic hosts. So he's the number one guy <laughs> as far as angels go. And we know in Isaiah 14, if you're curious, you can read about that. Isaiah or Ezekiel 28 um, when it talks about uh, the devil before he fell into sin. And we have a description of him in Isaiah 14 and also in Ezekiel 28. We don't have time to go there tonight but it's a description of of Lucifer and all his glory and eva- evidently God had given him uh, Lucifer a great position of authority and uh, The Bible calls him an anointed cherub and yet what was his what was his downfall? pride right um, pride and pride will always bring you down always um, he wanted to be like who the most high God you know he wasn't good enough being number two he wanted to be number one um, and so this incident happened that's mentioned here in Jude and it's caused a lot of people even commentators and stuff a great deal of difficulty to try to understand what we're looking at in verse nine because it's like what is he tied? the body of Moses what is this right And so Michael the archangel had a dispute, you could say, with the devil. And it tells us right there in the verse that they argued about the body of Moses. What's interesting, and this is Jude's point, he's not, it has nothing to really do with the the body of Moses. He's just bringing that incident up where you have Michael and the devil and they're having kind of a confrontation. But then he says this, Michael, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment against the devil. So you had Michael, who is the chief of the angels, dealing with the devil. And Michael knew his position. He knew that it would be wrong for him to pronounce a judgment even against a fallen angel is what Jude's point is. The devil's a fallen angel. You think, well, who would care? No, there's still, there's still ranks here. You know, and, and this is what's so important. He did not dare <coughs> pronounce against the devil some kind of a, a judgment. But what does he say? He says, The Lord rebuke you. In other words, Michael even understood it's not his position. He doesn't have the position of authority to rebuke another angel even an unholy angel like the devil. And yet, what Jude's point is, these false teachers revile and blaspheme holy angels every time they teach false doctrine. And they don't even get it. And so whatever Michael did here, it's it's a picture of, of God's Example to us of a, of a godly attitude it's, it's, it's God trying to say that we should have this attitude that Michael had instead of being like those who deceive us You know instead of like, you know, it's like if the devil comes up and calls you names or whatever Michael well yeah, it's a devil. I can respond. No. Nope. He knew his place. Hey, the Lord's gonna the Lord's gonna take care of you and and that's really a it's a it's a loose illustration really of You know what when we when we have people come against us when we have people Deal with us in unkind ways or whatever it might be. It's not our place to take revenge It's really not It's not our place. Let God deal with them God is much more able to deal with them than we are anyway because of our sinfulness so at some point Our sinfulness is going to get riled up and there's going to be sinful things said and then you know We got to apologize even though we didn't do anything wrong (laughs) Because of our reaction to somebody who did something wrong to us So what what? Michael did is had an attitude of saying hey, you know what? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna call out a judgment against you devil even though you're arguing with me and I know you're wrong And they're arguing over this body of Moses and so you might ask yourself the question: Where in the Old Testament does it say that Michael and the devil disputed over the body of Moses? Can anybody tell me? Doesn't, doesn't say that. It doesn't tell us anything about it. The only thing we have is, I think, in the book of Deuteronomy thirty-four six. It tells us that um, God, basically, it says that God buried Moses after he died but he didn't want anybody to know where. And so in the Old Testament, it doesn't say anything about this. And so you're reading the New Testament here, and you're saying, well, how do we know this is true? Some people say, well, that's Jude's just making this up. No. How do we know it's true? It's what? It's the word of God. Yeah, it's not going to lie to us. You know, some people have a problem. Well, well, it's not in the Old Testament. So what? There's a lot of things that aren't in the Old Testament that are in the New Testament. It doesn't mean they didn't happen. Um, It doesn't doesn't really bother me at all. Uh, So there's this issue, and they're arguing over the body of of Moses. Turn over to to Deuteronomy uh, 34, just real quick. You can just see this verse I was talking about. Deuteronomy 34. talks about the death of Moses here in in chapter 34. And look down at verse 6. um, Verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, in verse 6. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Peth-Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. And so it's, it's kind of an important point that, that Jude is making there. Um, there's people that have gone over there and looked. They can't find it. You know, we're kind of told a general area somewhere up there in the mountains of Nebo on the east side of the Jordan and the Dead Sea. Somewhere Moses is buried there. He is. But it says, you know what? I don't want anybody to know. And uh, there's probably a lot of reasons for that. I mean I'm sure we could think of several just if we opened it up right Yeah exactly you know I, mean, I don't think God wanted anybody worshiping the body of no Moses it's probably the, the same reason they haven't really um completely located the ark they have a general idea but I mean it's not on earth and it's not open like a museum right cuz people would worship it um it, it's just it's just something that God doesn't want to happen and so you have this this chief angel arguing with the the devil here about the body of Moses and maybe he's arguing saying I want to know where it's at I don't know what he's saying who knows um, but it's it's very important to understand that this this angel the Mike, Michael the archangel in Daniel chapter 10 verse 13 it says but Michael one of the chief princes and also in Daniel 1021 at the end there it says except the Against these except Michael your prince, so so it kind of gives you the idea that Michael is very elevated in the angelic realm um, in, in Daniel 12:1 it says at the t- at that time shall arise Michael the great prince who has charge over your people and so he was this powerful angel a lot of people believe for the express purpose of protecting Israel and defeating Uh, Satan's purpose is against Israel against the people of God That's why he's called the prince and he's also mentioned in Revelation chapter 12 if you turn over there You can see this Revelation 12 verses 7 to 9. It says now war arose in heaven Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back But he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven and it goes on about how the, the, the great dragon was thrown down and whatever. But it talks about Michael and his angels fighting against the, uh, uh, the dragon. And so he is a very important responsibility as a protector. And, uh, you know, Lucifer, on the other hand, is somebody who's fallen, right? But Michael knew who. Lucifer was he knew him when he was son of the morning uh, When he was an anointed cherubib cherub that that Michael was completely familiar with who Lucifer was and who Satan is now And he knew all the other demons all them being created together at once and and when they fell he knew they fell Uh, And he did battle with them and was part of the force that threw them out of heaven This is the position that Michael holds. Uh, And he knows he has power over Satan. And so he, at the same time, and this is Jude's point, he has respect for even the angelic enemies of God. Enough that he's not going to speak a judgment against Satan when they get in this argument. He's going to let that up to God. And even though he's the most powerful angel, he knows that there are limits to his power. There are limits to his knowledge. You know, uh, angels aren't om- omniscient. Angels aren't omnipresent. They're not, uh, I mean, they're, 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 not, they're a force to be reckoned with, but they don't have those characteristics like God does. And so his power as a holy angel, he understands, is delegated to him. Right, And he understands that my role as a holy angel is to do whatever I want to do. No. See, he's saying, don't act. False teachers, don't do that. You shouldn't be out there doing whatever you want to do. Use the example of Michael. Do whatever God tells him to do. Even Michael, the most holy angel, the the highest in authority, um, could not act independently on his own. And yet we have people... In the church today, they're always acting independently on their own. Um, He won't go against divine authority. He won't exercise his own will even over Satan. Um, He knows that God has a plan for Satan. And he knows that God knows what those plans are. And when God tells Michael, he'll carry out those plans. But he's not going to do it on his own. And um, so he doesn't bring a judgment here in verse nine against the devil. He's arguing with the devil. He probably could have just overthrown him right there, but no. He says, "You know what? The Lord rebuke you." He knows that there are limits even to His power. Um, I mean, if if they were to engage in a battle, uh, that would be just that. It would just be kind of a waste of time. You can see even in the tenth chapter of Daniel where God sends him to answer Daniel's prayer. Um, Michael and a demon spirit. It says holds him up and engages him in battle So these are real forces uh, And even even Michael, he's not omniscient He's not uh, omnipotent. And so uh, with that insight Jude is trying to show us the expectation here uh, coming out of verse 8 these apostate teachers these people who don't have any respect for God at all although they they look like they do they blaspheme the holy angels by their disregard for God's holy word, and they're teaching whatever they want. And this is what God, God's word is what the angels are called to, they were there to ordain it, but they're also there to protect it. And so they, they have the, 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 the gall to blaspheme holy agents of God by their disrespect for God's law. Even the holy angels don't blaspheme demons and uh, Jesus said he when he was here on earth Did Jesus walk around earth saying I'm gonna do whatever I want to do? Was that his attitude? What was his what was his? Right. Hey, whatever father you want me to do. I'll do it And that's that's Jesus. <laughs> he was God Right, and yet he understood that he understood that as, as part of his humiliation being here on earth for the time He was here on earth um, that he was under the Father's will. Uh, well, holy angels do that for all eternity. That's what they're called to do. They do only what God tells them to do. And so I think as a church, we give, not just our church, but the church in general, gives way too much credit to Satan and his demons. And you see this a lot of times in in some of these false teachings that these people purport, and I'll just say it, a lot of it's in the charismatic movement, unfortunately, where you hear people commanding Satan to do certain things, thinking, who, who do you think you are? I mean, even Michael, the most powerful angel, wouldn't do this. And yet, we have people out there, you know, binding Satan here, binding, you know... And and my question is always the same, you know, if if you're binding Satan, who's unbinding him? Because he's clearly not bound, right? I mean, so it's just kind of a crazy thing, but that's what they do. And, you know, there's a demon under every rock, and that's not for us to do. We're not called to do that. Nowhere in Scripture do you have the authority to do that. You don't have the insight to do that. Uh, they don't respond to us that way. They really don't. And I know that this is probably weird for some of you to hear because it's become such a mantra. You know, just rebuke the devil. Well, who are you to rebuke the devil? Even Michael wouldn't rebuke the devil. Right? Uh, It's like in the New Testament when the the, the demon said to the, the sons of Shiva, remember that? Jesus we know, Paul we know, but... Who are you guys, right? You have no authority. Why should we do what you tell us to do? And we have too many people in the church going around commanding Satan to do this and do that. And yet we fail to understand that even Satan is under what? God's sovereign rule. I mean, think about it. Think about it just biblically for a second. Why did Satan go to Job? Because God told him to. (laughs) I mean, right? God sent him. Here's a guy that's minding his own business, righteous man. And God says, there you go. Right? Consider him. Uh, I mean, the best guess would have been to chase the devil away, <laughs> except that God sent him. If Job could just say, you know, I plead the blood of Christ. Get out of here, devil. No. God sent the devil to Job. Um, In the New Testament, we see where God turned Peter over to who? Satan, (laughs) right? I mean, mean, the best guess would have been to send Satan away, but God sent Satan. God sent a messenger, it says, from Satan to put a thorn through Paul's flesh. We don't even know what it is. Just like we don't really even understand this body of Moses business, but we know that God sent a messenger from Satan to put a thorn, to put something that would prod in the side of Paul's flesh. Now, if he was a charismatic, he could have just claimed the blood of Jesus and, and be gone, Satan, and boy, Satan would have ran away. No, because God sent him. Right? God sent him. Um, so, you don't. we don't, in our, in our realm, we don't understand what God is doing with Satan in this world. We don't understand it. But we we do understand, biblically, Satan is God's servant. Satan is God's servant. You don't know what he's doing with all the demons, but you know what? Um, They don't do their own will. They're under the purview of God. That may be hard for us to understand sometimes, that may be hard for us to realize, but they're all accomplishing his purposes, or God wouldn't be sovereign. Apostate teachers are defiled in the flesh, they reject the lordship of Christ, and they want to operate on their own agenda. They don't want to bow to anybody, including Scripture. That's why they're always coming up with something new if you ever listen to these guys. God, God gave me, a. I hear it, yes spirit, new revelation. And they just come out with something. And, and you're listening to them and you're going, whoa, 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 wait a minute, I can go to 10 verses that contradict what you just said. They don't care. They have no regard for the word of God. They just are saying things that play well with the crowd to fill their pockets with the money. They blaspheme God, not only by rejecting his holy law and their immorality, but they also Divine, by, by denying his divine authority and being so irreverent that they would um, usurp prerogatives that belong only to God. They, they don't even belong to Michael, as powerful as he is, and they just say, ah, we don't care. Um, people running around telling Satan what to do, Michael doesn't even do that. You've, you've overstepped your bounds. Um, and so this demonstration of the holiness of Michael is, is really, as it relates to us, he knew his place. He knew his place. He was the protector of God's people. But all the judgments as to how he protected God's people were made by who? Not Michael. They were made by God. Um, and so it says here that this, this, this body of of, of Of Moses is it's kind of a hard thing to 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 grasp but like I said, we don't know why this is in there other than it's an illustration for us um, To to provide this the Lord rebuke you instead of instead of uh, uh, Michael himself if you if you look at Zechariah chapter 3 Zechariah right next to Malachi Zechariah chapter 3 verse 1. It's the second to last book in the Old Testament. Um, Zechariah is is shown Joshua the high priest. And um, he kind of points out here, um, this is a vision of Joshua the high priest. He was of the son of Jehozadak, and along with a man named Zerubbabel, it tells us, Uh, they led the the first group of Jews back from the Babylonian captivity and so here here's Joshua If you look at this Joshua was a a real a real man, and he was a real uh, high priest as well and um, Here it it says he he represents Israel in this in this vision and he kind of stands there as a representative of the nation of Israel So Zechariah sees this vision um, in this vision, Joshua, the high priest, and he's standing before the angel of the Lord. And if you look here, it it says in verse one, and he showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. Now, um, in this case, um, this is this is the the pre-incarnate Christ. OK, um, and, and, and this this happens all the time in, in the Old Testament. Uh, a lot of times, um, you know, you repeat the, the scene of Job, Satan goes into heaven he comes to God, he starts accusing. And in this case, Satan is standing at the right hand of 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 Christ, accusing Joshua or the, the nation of Israel, basically. Um, and what's he trying to do? He's trying to get God to break his covenant with Israel. He's probably pointing out all their, oh, look at these people. They don't, they don't care. They deny your promises. They do all this stuff. He's trying to get God to deny his promise to sinful Israel. And this is exactly what Satan does before God on our behalf, right? I mean, he goes up there. He's, he's called the what? The accuser of the brethren, right? So uh, that's what he does. Oh look at look at Steve down there! Yeah, look at how look at what he's doing. You know, look at how he's treating his wife. Look at what he's done. Look, you know, oh he's one of yours, yours, God. You know, he's constantly accusing, and that's why it's so important to understand who we are in what Christ. If we don't understand who we are in Christ, then those accusations are going to affect our behavior as believers here on earth, because we're going to start believing those lies. And pretty soon, we're we're not even going to know who we are in Christ anymore, and we're going to be so laden down with guilt and fear we won't even come to church. We feel guilty about everything, and we just woe as me and stay in our bed and eat Twinkies. Um, Not a good situation. And so it says here that, and he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the angel of the Lord, uh, who in verse... Uh, 2 is called the Lord because it's the Lord himself listen to what he says the Lord and the Lord said to Satan what he say The Lord rebuke you The Lord rebuke you and the Lord Christ said to Satan the Lord rebuke you oh Satan the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you is not this a brand plucked from the fire? These are the same words that 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 Jude uses. Um, and almost, it's almost like a, a, a preview, you could say, of how Jesus would act on earth. He defers to who? He defers to his Father, and the Lord, the Angel of the Lord, the Preincarnate Christ. In this. Situation is a picture of what he would be like in his incarnation when he came to earth. So instead of rebuking Satan, the pre incarnate Christ says, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. And the Son calls on the Father to rebuke Satan. Verse 2 And the Lord said to Satan, Lord, rebuke you, O Satan. And uh, this is language that the, the whole pluck from the fire, you can read that in. In Jude as well, it's very similar. And then in verse 3, it says, Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments, and the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. Verse 5, And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. So instead of God breaking his promise with Israel, listening to the accusations of Satan, what did God do? God gave us a picture here in the Old Testament of justification. He gave us a picture of the day that how he would clothe Israel with his own righteousness, because they had no righteousness of their own. And and that's the same thing for us, when we, come to, when we come to Christ, we don't have any innate righteousness of our own. We can't say, well, I go to church or, boy, I feed the hungry or, doesn't that count? No, it doesn't. All those are nice things, but they don't add up when you're standing before a holy God. Matter of fact, the Bible says outside of Christ, our, our righteous deeds, our righteous acts are like what? Filthy rags. Filthy rags. And the idea is Not to be gross, but the idea is a menstrual rag that you just toss in the garbage. It's not good for anything. You wouldn't wash it and use it again. So Michael was there. He knows this story. He knows the text. He knew the scene. Michael did what exactly the pre-incarnate Christ, the pre-incarnate Son of God did. He didn't say, I rebuke you, Satan. I have the power, and I have the authority. I'm the most powerful angel, Satan. Get out of here. No. He said, you know what? That's up to the Lord to do that. <laughs> that's, not my, that's not my place. Now go back to Jude. They're arguing about this, this body of Moses. And if it was if it was so simple like a lot of these people say today, you know, they could have just bound Satan right there. I, I bind you, Satan. You get out of here. I don't need to discuss this with you. But he didn't do that. He told the Lord to rebuke him instead. Um, now, we don't, like I said, we don't know what this this body is about. That's not Jude's point. So there's a lot of things in Scripture we're just not told. And this is this is one of them. We don't even know what the argument was about. There's a, there is a... Uh, I listened to one sermon today that the guy was pointing out a um, apocryphal book um, that's not in scripture that gives an indication of what this conversation was about. But that's not inspired scripture. So it's just kind of a nice story. And I thought, I'm not going to tell it to you. So because, you know, it's not what the Bible wants us to know, apparently, because it's not in there. But we know that, you know, maybe Satan wanted to set this body up for worship and, and create it as an artifact or something. We don't know. But um, you know, we know that even within the Catholic Church, they've done that time and time again I mean they have everything from Mary's milk to Peter's bones and all this stuff and people go not worship and pay money to see it And uh, you know, it's crazy um, But the important thing is is that that example That God has given us here in this verse that these these false teachers these apostates Um, not only rebuke Satan (laughs) But they they teach other Immature believers under their tutelage to do the same thing. You see this all the time in certain churches You know everybody's rebuking Satan binding Satan. It's just part of their prayer life it's it's just a it's I, I, I Just I it's hard to understand because you would think you would look around the world and realize that Satan is not bound and so if they're praying for that, they, their prayers are not being answered clearly, but they're, they're so deceived. These, these are these are people, I believe, that don't even have the Holy Spirit because they're not even saved. So they're just mere natural men putting on a, a stick for everybody to see, and they're filled with pride, they're filled with immorality, and you may not see it on the surface, but trust me, it's there, and eventually it comes out. And that's why so many times when you hear about these these certain teachers falling or, oh, they got a divorce and, well, they were having an affair with whatever. I mean, anymore, we don't even, we don't even wink at it. It's like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> you know. Well, he can still be the pastor. I mean, just because he got caught with another woman who's not his wife and, and, you know, and he's divorcing his wife and leaving him for the new, well, that's okay. You know, we'll give him six weeks off and let him go get his heart right and then he can come back. and It's sad. It's sad, but that's what happens, unfortunately. And so it, it's very in, important that we, I guess, that we understand this and that we we realize that when he moves on here, and we'll, we'll do this next week, but in verse 10 he says, but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And the reason they can't understand it is because they don't have the spirit. The Bible says the natural man can't discern the things of God. And so that's why they're always making things up. They undermine the faith. They undermine the the truth of the word of God. That's why they're called these dreamers. That just making stuff up constantly. And so, um, you know, next week we'll look at, at verse 10 down through, through verse uh, uh, 12, basically, and 13, 14. Because it's, these are people, re- remember Jude's point here is that these are not people outside the four walls of the church. Do you understand that? These are not, these teachers are not, he said they've crept in, he tells us in verse three. These people have crept in and you're not contending for the faith as you should be. So you're actually linking arms with these people and you don't even realize it. And that's why it's so important to have a basis of understanding of doctrine of which you can base your faith on. I mean, there's, there's a lot of congregations today, they will not touch doctrine. They won't teach anything that's doctrinal because in their mind, doctrine divides. And if you're going to be dogmatic on a certain doctrine, well, that's going to, you know, you're going to divide half the church. They won't come back to your church. And what does it, it, it boils down to, they just want a full church. They don't care what they teach. They just That's why this whole user-friendly movement has become so popular with so many different people. Dave shared a video with me today of a church in, in, um, uh, down in, in Florida. And it's just crazy. I mean, some of the things they do. And I mean, the guy's a great speaker. He's a professional speaker, this pastor. I mean, you know, he could probably make you cry on a dime. But at the same time, where's the spiritual meat? It's not there. It's just not there because that would be divisive. And so all these apostates, all these liberals, all these cultists, all these false teachers and false preachers, they operate, Jude's point is, out of of ignorance. Complete ignorance. And we're going to find out next week what really um, gets them in trouble in in verse uh, 10 that talks about this. But um, that's what we have for this evening. So let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we know that your word is true. And and Father, we know that we don't have to understand every little jot and tittle that we can't. It's it's a holy book. It's, it's beyond our reasoning. Um, God, you say your word, your ways are not our ways. They're far above our ways. We don't understand why you do the things that you do sometimes, most times. And Lord, but we do understand scripture. We do understand the truth. We do understand that that Satan is not above you. He's not in charge. You are. You're the sovereign God. You're the one who created everybody, including Lucifer. And, and so, Lord, you, you use all these things to carry out your plan, your purpose. And, Lord, that should help us sleep at night. To know that you have our back, that you, when we commit our lives to you, when we come to Christ out of a broken heart, out of a, a life that's been... Um, just burdened with sin, that we can come to you as our heavenly Father, and we can put our faith and trust in your Son, who went to the cross to die for our sins. And it's not enough just to say, "Oh, yeah, I know Jesus died on the cross for sin." No, he—you you have to personalize it. You have to understand that he died a specific death. He died for you, and that should motivate you to follow him. That should motivate you to give your life to him to surrender your life to him, not to be like these false teachers who kind of just want to go their own way. And so, Lord, we pray tonight that if there's any here who needs to put their faith, their trust in Christ or who, whoever may be listening to this message, Lord, we ask that you would do that work. Lord, we can't do it. They can't do it. You have to show them their need of a Savior. You have to bring them to the end of themselves so they can only look up and cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me from my sin. And Father, that's a prayer when it's prayed from a sincere heart that you'll answer and you'll restore that person to a proper fellowship with you. You'll reconcile them. You'll, You'll justify them by the righteousness of Christ before your sight. And the condemnation of sin will be gone. And Lord, there'll be a new desire to serve you in a new way each and every day. And Father, you will protect us and care for us until we're with you in glory one day. And so we look forward to how you're going to carry all that out. But Lord, we trust you even more each and every day. The harder it gets in this world, we we have to trust you more. We have no one else to go to. And so Lord, we thank you um, for your work in our lives. And just pray and give us the motivation to reach out to those who are still wandering, who are still lost, who, who need to hear The hope of the gospel who need to see the hope of the gospel working itself out in our own lives that we could be examples and testimonies of your love and your grace and your forgiveness we thank you and we praise you in jesus precious name Amen. amen amen